Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Friday, uh, January the 26th, uh, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Once again, to yet another information-filled uh, edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal, this special edition of our program. This episode uh, has a focus on the recently delivered International Court of Justice decision at The Hague in the Netherlands. Our Pan-African Newswire segment will feature reports on the world's lauding of the ruling by the United Nations High Court. We look in detail at the character of the decision the Republic of South Africa, the bringer of the legal petition on behalf of the Palestinian people, have hailed the court order. And the resistance forces in Gaza are responding favorably to the International Court of Justice decision. In the second hour, we listen to the response of the South African Minister for International Relations and Cooperation, Dr. Nalidi Pandor, on the ICJ's preliminary findings. Later, we review the actual order uh, read by the president of the ICJ. Finally, we listen to a panel discussion on the legal implications of the International Court of Justice ruling. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned, and we'll take our musical interlude uh, with Um Kaltum's orchestra. This is a live concert uh, broadcast over Radio Cairo in 1958. Uh, let's listen in. سيداتي وسادتي كان دائما معها بقلبها بأعماقها تراه كل يوم وتهمس له كل يوم إن مر يوم من غير لؤياك ما ينحسب من عمرك
مر يوم من غير رؤياك ما ينحسبش من عمري غنت ام كلثوم غنت ملء الاسماع غنت بكل جوارحها غنت فاطربت غنت فعشنا مع الذكرى غنت فنهلنا من روعه الحاضر غنت فلامس صوتها اوتار القلوب فداعبها غنت فتهدلت مياه الجداول وانتابت تتهادى في تيه ودلال غنت فتبادلنا الاه غنت 
ورددنا جميعا من اعماقنا ذكرى لقاء حبيب يتجدد كل يوم وكل يوم يعود ويبقى الصوت الدافئ يهمس ونمر يوم من غير لؤياه ما ينحسبش من عمره اصدقائي المستمعين وهكذا استمعتم الى الوصلة الثانية قدمتها لكم من على مسرح معرض دمشق الدولي شادية العرب وكوكب الشرق الاولى السيدة ام كلثوم مستمعي العزاء لنا لقاء اخر معكم في الوسطة الثالثة لنا لقاء اخر ولا ندري ماذا يحمل هذا اللقاء من شيء جديد اصدقائي المستوعين نستودعكم الله من مسرح معرض دمشق الدولي لنلتقي بكم بعد فترة غير قصيرة Welcome back. And that was uh, Um Kalsum's orchestra from a uh, live uh, radio broadcast of a concert from 1958 in Cairo, Egypt, uh, with the many uh, renditions of Awet Eni. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, January 26, 2024. And uh, we're broadcasting uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. Right now we will move into our Pan-African Newswire report. And our lead story, of course, uh, deals with the uh, ruling earlier today by the International Court of Justice, the High Court of the United Nations, uh, which uh, was quite favorable uh, to uh, the petition that was brought uh, by the Republic of South Africa, the African National Congress Government of South Africa, in regard to charging genocide uh, against the state of Israel as it relates to the Palestinian people. And of course, uh, in press TV, they have noted that Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi says South Africa's genocide case against Israel at the International Court of Justice has drawn the admiration of all freedom seekers worldwide, hours before the court announces its interim ruling. During a telephone conversation with his South African counterpart, Cyril Ramaphosa, on Thursday night, Raisi lauded the, quote, courageous, unquote, initiative, stressing that the move was taken by a country that has experienced the menace of racism and genocidal war for years. Quote, uh, the measure is praised not only by the Muslim world, but also by all freedom seekers across the globe, unquote. The Iranian president said, according uh, to his press service, Raisi added that the Tel Aviv regime and its sponsors will surely seek to obstruct legal proceedings, noting that, quote, all world nations accept uh, the ICG to mete out justice and pronounce a verdict in condemnation of the criminal Zionist regime, unquote. He stated that the South African genocide case against Israel over Gaza war comes amid the apathy and inaction of international organizations to stop the conflict. The case will once again record in history the names of South African leaders of anti-apartheid and justice-seeking, Raisi said. Elsewhere, the Iranian president went on to say that Tehran is determined to tap existing potentials and further develop relations with Pretoria in various spheres of politics, trade, science, and technology. For his part, Ramaphosa described Iran as a trusted ally that has always stood by his country in difficult times. And you can read this article in its entirety over the Pan-African Newswire. In other news, 
The United Nations top court has ordered the Israeli regime to take all measures within its power to prevent genocide in Gaza, but stopped short of ordering a ceasefire. That's according to Press TV. The order by the International Court of Justice was part of its interim ruling on the emergency measures requested by South Africa in its genocide case against Israel over its war on the Gaza Strip. The court demanded Israel try to contain death and damage in the Gaza Strip and warned it to, quote, take all measures in its power to prevent, unquote, acts that could fall under the U.N. Genocide Convention set up in 1948. The court also ordered Israel to take measures to prevent and punish direct incitement of genocide in the Gaza Strip. Israel must take, quote, immediate and effective measures to enable the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by the Palestinians, end quote, the court said. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. And we continue in our coverage uh, of uh, the International Court of Justice ruling earlier today uh, at The Hague in the Netherlands uh, in the case uh, brought by the African National Congress government of the Republic of South Africa against uh, the state of Israel charging genocide and violation of the Genocide Convention. South Africa has hailed as a, quote, decisive victory, unquote, the International Court of Justice ruling that Israel must do everything it can to prevent acts of genocide in Gaza. Quote, today marks a decisive victory for the international rule of law and a significant milestone in the search for justice for the Palestinian people, end quote. South Africa's foreign ministry said in a Friday statement, quote, South Africa sincerely hopes that Israel will not act uh, to frustrate the application of this order as it has publicly threatened to do but that it will instead act to comply with it fully as it is bonded uh, to do, unquote. It said South Africa would continue to act within the institutions of global governance to protect the rights of Palestinians in Gaza. And uh, finally, Moss says it will commit to a potential international court of justice ruling mandating a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, which it is enduring a genocidal Israeli war if the Israeli regime adheres to the verdict as well. The Palestinian resistance movement made the remarks in a statement on Thursday, a day before the court is did expect uh, to hand down the ruling in a case lodged against it by the South Africa uh, uh, late uh, last month. The lawsuit filed by South Africa says Israel's action in besieged Gaza are, quote, genocidal, unquote. Hamas, quote, is following with great interest the deliberations of the International Court of Justice following the request submitted by South Africa to the court to stop the genocide against our people, especially in Gaza, unquote, the statement said. South Africa had formally lodged a case against the Israeli regime at the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, over the genocide of Palestinians in the besieged Gaza Strip. Quote, in the event of a decision by the court in The Hague to cease fire, the Islamic resistance movement Hamas will commit to a ceasefire as long as the enemy adheres to it, unquote, it added. And as I mentioned earlier, you can read these stories in their entirety at uh, the Pan-African Newswire. That's going to conclude the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we would like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. 
The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches and hundreds of newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is go to our website, and that's at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access uh, to uh, this program, the Pan-African Journal Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Friday, January 26, uh, 2024, go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll of the Pan-African Journal for this week. Detroit's own Supremes, 
uh, from uh, the early days, uh, the of course, uh, the early days of the 1960s, and of course, uh, Detroit's own uh, Supremes uh, with the track entitled Love is Here, uh, But Now You're Gone. And uh, we are here at the Pan-African Journal, uh, the special worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, talking uh, to you about uh, the developments uh, that have been taking place uh, at the uh, United Nations uh, High Court, uh, where earlier today uh, it ruled uh, in favor of the petition uh, filed uh, by the Republic of South Africa uh, in regard to uh, holding uh, the State of Israel liable uh, for and the genocide uh, that is taking place uh, inside of the country. And uh, we are here uh, covering uh, this story. And if you'd like to have, uh, of course, uh, detailed information uh, in regard uh, to all of these developments, uh, just go uh, to our website. And uh, that is uh, at uh, the Pan-African Newswire. And uh, the Pan-African Newswire can be found at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's News. Dot blogspot, uh, dot com. And uh, you are here uh, with us. And uh, right now we'd like to get into uh, even more in-depth coverage of uh, the decision uh, that, uh, of course, was made uh, earlier today at uh, the United Nations uh, High Court. And uh, let's listen uh, to uh, statements uh, made uh, by uh, the uh, South African Minister, Foreign Minister, uh, Minister of International Cooperation, International Relations and Cooperation, uh, Dr. Naledi Pandor, who has been uh, out front uh, on the question of uh, Palestinian solidarity. And uh, that, of course, uh, has uh, brought her uh, much uh, international prominence. Yes. And, uh, of course, uh, right after uh, the hearing, uh, after the hearing uh, earlier today in The Hague, uh, there was a press conference uh, that uh, was held outside uh, the courthouse in the Netherlands. Let's listen to the proceedings of uh, these developments. I am still in conversation with our international news editor, Sophie Mukwena, and Sherwin Bryce-Pease, who joins us from New York. So, of course, uh, Sophie, you saw that reaction, and it is important uh, early on that you said um, that, you know, this is a huge win for South Africa, but more importantly, it's a huge win for the Palestinian people. And, of course, uh, as Sherwin was saying a little bit earlier on, what happens now, what happens next is very crucial. As we know, the bombardment continues there in, um, in, in Gaza. But let's talk now about just some of the utterances that were made by the U.S. and uh, some members, of course, um, of the Western countries saying that this case was meritless, that this case was uh, baseless. And I think the, the recent um, you know, reaction was from lawmakers in the U.S. writing to Anthony Blinken saying that they were disgusted by this process of South Africa. But fundamentally, what does this mean? I don't understand why they were talking about the merits of the case because it was clear from day one when South Africa made that presentation that these were provisional measures that were requested. And secondly, even Israel itself, 
was not obliged to go and present its side of a story. But uh, being the signatory of this uh, genocide convention, and because the genocide was adopted after that uh, terrible incident where the Jews were targeted, they felt uh, obliged to go and show that they do support the work of the court, even though they have reservations and later the Prime Minister making uh, those statements. And therefore, the U.S., the congressmen, bipartisan, making that statement, I think, uh, I, I, I think uh, they were off the mark. And I think that is why the Foreign Secretary uh, made that statement. As you can see, the Minister of International Relations is about to uh, make a statement. Perhaps let's listen in what Dr. Naledi Pando had to say. Uh, do you want me to give you a minute? Are you all right? Yes, you are right. Okay. So we have... Uh, the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation of South Africa, Dr. Naledi Pando, who's going to speak to you, Director General uh, of the Foreign Ministry at Home, uh, Mr. Zain Dango. Omar, yeah, I'm sure you know him. Um, so the Minister is going to speak, and then uh, uh, Omar is going to speak as well. Uh, Gigi will take questions. Uh, you all ready? Yes. Good to go. Minister, over to you. My, my name is Naledi Pando and I'm the uh, South African Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. Um, I wish to begin by uh, thanking the judges of the International Court of Justice for uh, dealing with this matter expeditiously. Given uh, the urgency of the need to protect innocent uh, civilians uh, in Palestine and to ensure that uh, the harm that South Africa has referred to in the case it brought before the ICJ, that that harm uh, is addressed and that people's lives are saved. The saving of life is not uh, merely with respect uh, to having a ceasefire, it's to ensuring that humanitarian aid is provided uh, to those who need support, as well as ensuring uh, that the State of Israel uh, which is currently uh, the occupier and administrator in Palestine, provides the necessary basic services that uh, the residents of Gaza and the West Bank require. This case uh, was very much about international bodies ensuring that they exercise their responsibility to protect us all as global citizens. All member states of the United Nations have attached their signatures to a range of instruments. But when lives are threatened, these instruments are not brought to bear. And South Africa had the view that we could not stand idly by and continue to observe the killing of thousands of Palestinian citizens who had no role in the awful act of hostage-taking and killing that was uh, done by Hamas. And therefore, we thought it important that we do report and apply to the International Court of Justice that the measures provided within the Convention for the Punishment and Prevention of Genocide are brought to bear and that the State of Israel is called upon uh, by the judges to act to protect civilians and to end 
the massive level of harm uh, that we have seen since the Israeli uh, action began and we agree entirely with the uh, judges that Hamas uh, should release uh, the hostages that they're currently holding. We also, uh, in our various engagements with our partners internationally, believe the moment is now ripe for there to be negotiations for a two-state solution to end this conflict decisively. Minister, are you disappointed there isn't a ceasefire? Are you disappointed the court? I believe that uh, in exercising uh, the uh, order, there would have to be a ceasefire. Without it, the order uh, doesn't actually work. I, I, I would have wanted a ceasefire. No, they didn't. Are you disappointed but how they didn't specify that? I'm, I have no way that I'm going to say I'm disappointed. I hoped for it, but the fact of delivering humanitarian aid, the fact of taking measures that reduce the levels of harm against persons who have no role in what Israel uh, is combating, for me, requires a ceasefire. And I believe Israel would have to attend to how it conducts its search for the hostages and for those Hamas individuals who carried out the October 7th uh, attack. I believe that uh, the uh, court judgment needs to be read very, very carefully. Uh, they've given very, very direct instructions. Uh, we are satisfied uh, that the provisional measures that we sought uh, to be addressed would be uh, uh, addressed by the court. And uh, I believe if you read the convention very carefully, uh, the matter of uh, how uh, a war uh, or conflict is conducted is not elaborated. I would have wanted that the word cessation uh, is included uh, in the judgment. But I'm satisfied with the directives that have been given. And in particular, I was concerned as the the president of the court was reading the order uh, that reference wasn't being made to a report because the reporting is absolutely imperative. The monitoring of action in terms of the order is vital. And so for the fact that uh, a monthly report, a report within one month of the state, has been ordered is, I believe, very significant. But what's the state of Germany and the United States who have called this case merited? Well, the fact that uh, the court says Remember that today we're not deciding about the allegation of genocide. What we're dealing with are the provisional measures. It's clear that the court does say circumstances exist where it is plausible that genocidal acts have been committed. This, of course, means once the merit case is addressed, and if the finding is that there has been genocide, those states that have aided and abetted become a party to commission of an infringement in terms of the convention. Do you think Israel will conform to the orders laid down by the court today? I've never really been hopeful of, uh, about, about Israel, uh, but Israel has very powerful friends who I hope uh, will advise Israel that they should act Minister, uh, in terms of the Israel, order. I think that's for you and the public to decide. What we've said is, here's an international instrument. Uh, let us bring it into operation and let's stop being observers uh, of significant harm. Let's act. And South Africa has acted. 
And what the court has actually indicated is that this convention is being brought to life in a very practical way. And I now think what we want is that the member states of the United Nations uh, must oversee the process and ensure uh, that we create a basis uh, for uh, a global community in which a resort to arms is no longer easy, a resort to abuse is no longer easy, and that more effort is now directed toward negotiation and toward seeking peaceful means of ending conflict. Well, as, as far as I understand the convention, states are members, states are signatories, and you bring actions uh, with reference to states, not to particular groups. But has Hamas behaved uh, genocidally? Well, uh, I believe that uh, what has been done uh, by Hamas is certainly caused great harm, and I do think that the hostages should be freed. And that's what we must focus upon. Madam Minister, Madam Minister, okay. do you believe so, that the so, decision of the court will help, let's say, in solving the, the problem of the Israeli aggression against the Palestinians today, and in the short term maybe can help finding a political solution to the uh, conflict between the Palestinian people and the Israeli occupation? Well, this is, uh, this is my hope is that uh, we will begin to move toward a process where substantively a two-state solution is being discussed. The people of Palestine have suffered harm for many, many decades. I don't believe it will end today or tomorrow. But what we've done is a very clear signal has been sent by the court. And it's now a test for the government and people of Israel as to whether they will act in a manner that says all of us must respect international law. And what Dubai, are could you tell me what are the implications Well, if Israel acts in accord with it, I think the implications are for a future hopeful world. Should it not, then essentially we are opening up room for all abusers in many conflicts throughout the world. And I think we'll be settling a terrible, terrible uh, precedent. So what we should do, what all of us should do, is call on Israel to act in terms of the decision. I don't think it's a matter of South Africa and Israel here. The real issue, all your questions are about Israel, but the real issue is the people of Palestine who are being killed every day. The people of Palestine who are sleeping in the cold. The people of Palestine who are denied food, water, and energy. That is the critical issue that all of us should focus upon. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to ask the yeah. Vice Foreign Minister of that the... With the people of Palestine, we stand with the people of Palestine, and our message to them is never give up hope. South Africa got over the apartheid oppression. They will overcome. That was um, the Minister of International uh, Cooperation, International Relations and Cooperation, the Foreign Minister of the Republic of South Africa, Dr. Nalidi Pandora, speaking outside the International Court of Justice at The Hague in the Netherlands after the reading of uh, the preliminary findings of that court in regard to the charge of genocide against the settler colonial regime uh, in um, Palestine, the state of Israel, and its siege upon Gaza. 
let's listen to the actual uh, uh, decision uh, that was read in the court uh, earlier uh, this morning. Please be seated. The sitting is open. The court meets today to deliver in open court its decision on the request for indication of provisional measures submitted by South Africa in the case concerning application of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in the Gaza Strip, South Africa versus Israel. Judge Robinson, who duly participated in both the deliberation and the final vote, is, for reasons made known to me, unable to take his seat on the bench today. I would like to welcome the eminent representatives of the Republic of South Africa and the State of Israel who are in the Great Hall of Justice today. In particular, I recognize the presence of Her Excellency Ms. Naledi Pandor, Minister of International Relations and Cooperation of the Republic of South Africa. I recall that on 29 December 2023, South Africa filed in the registry of the court an application instituting proceedings against Israel concerning alleged violations in the Gaza Strip of obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, to which I shall refer as the Genocide Convention or the Convention. The application of South Africa contained a request for the indication of provisional measures submitted with reference to Article 41 of the statute and to Articles 73, 74, and 75 of the Rules of Court. In accordance with the usual practice, I shall not read the introductory paragraphs of the order which set out the procedural history of the case. I shall also omit or summarize some other paragraphs. I shall therefore begin the reading of the order at paragraph 13. In the order, the court begins by recalling the immediate context in which the present case came before it. It observes that on 7 October, 2023, Hamas and other armed groups present in the Gaza Strip carried out an attack in Israel, killing more than 1,200 persons, injuring thousands, and abducting some 240 people, many of whom continue to be held hostage. Following this attack, Israel launched a large-scale military operation in Gaza by land, air, and sea, which is causing massive civilian casualties, extensive destruction of civilian infrastructure, and the displacement of the overwhelming majority of the population in Gaza. The court is acutely aware of the extent of the human tragedy that is unfolding in the region and is deeply concerned about the continuing loss of life and human suffering. The ongoing conflict in Gaza has been addressed in the framework of several organs and specialized agencies of the United Nations. In particular, reservations have been adopted by the General Assembly and the Security Council of the United Nations, referring to many aspects of the conflict. The scope of the present case submitted to the court, however, is limited, as South Africa has instituted these proceedings under the Genocide Convention. The court then turns to the conditions needed to be fulfilled in order for it to indicate provisional measures. With respect to the question of prima facie jurisdiction, the court observes that it may indicate provisional measures 
only if the provisions relied on by the applicant appear prima facie to afford a basis on which its jurisdiction could be founded, but it need not satisfy itself in a definitive manner that it has jurisdiction as regards the merits of the case. In the present case, South Africa seeks to found the jurisdiction of the court on Article 36, Paragraph 1 of the Statute of the Court and on Article 9 of the Genocide Convention. The court must therefore first determine whether those provisions prima facie confer upon it jurisdiction to rule on the merits of the case, enabling it, if the other necessary conditions are fulfilled, to indicate provisional measures. Article 9 of the Genocide Convention provides, I quote, disputes between the contracting parties relating to the interpretation, application, or fulfillment of the present convention, including those relating to the responsibility of a state for genocide or for any of the other acts enumerated in Article 3, shall be submitted to the International Court of Justice at the request of any of the parties to the dispute. End of quote. South Africa and Israel are both parties to the Genocide Convention, and neither of them has entered a reservation to Article 9 or any other provision of the Convention. The Court then recalls that Article 9 of the Genocide Convention makes its jurisdiction conditional on the existence of a dispute relating to the interpretation, application, or fulfillment of the Convention. A dispute is a disagreement on a point of law or fact a conflict of legal views or of interests between parties. In order for a dispute to exist, it must be shown that the claim of one party is positively opposed by the other. The two sides must hold clearly opposite views concerning the question of the performance or non-performance of certain international obligations. To determine whether a dispute exists in the present case, the court cannot limit itself to noting that one of the parties maintains the convention applies while the other denies it. Since South Africa has invoked as a basis for the court's jurisdiction the compromissory clause of the Genocide Convention, the court must also ascertain at the present stage of the proceedings whether it appears that the acts and omissions complained of by the applicant are capable of falling within the scope of that convention, ratio materi. The court recalls that for purposes of deciding whether a dispute existed between the parties at the time of the filing of the application, it takes into account in particular any statements or documents exchanged between the parties, as well as any exchanges made in multilateral settings. In so doing, it pays special attention to the author of the statement or document, its intended or actual addressee, and its content. The existence of a dispute is a matter for objective determination by the court. It is a matter of substance, not a question of form or procedure. The court notes that South Africa issued public statements in various multilateral and bilateral settings in which it expressed its view that, in light of the nature, scope, and extent of Israel's military operations in Gaza, Israel's actions amounted to violations of its obligations under the Genocide Convention. For instance, at the resumed 10th Emergency Special Session of the United Nations General Assembly on 12 December 2023, at which Israel was represented, the South African representative to the United Nations stated that, I quote, the events of the past six weeks in Gaza have illustrated that Israel is acting contrary to its obligations in terms of the Genocide Convention, end of quote. 
South Africa recalled this statement in its note verbal of 21 December 2023 to the Embassy of Israel in Pretoria. The court notes that Israel dismissed any accusation of genocide in the context of the conflict in Gaza in a document published by the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs on 6 December 2023, which was subsequently updated and reproduced on the website of the Israel Defense Forces on 15 December 2023 under the title The War Against Hamas Answering Your Most Pressing Questions, stating that, I quote, the accusation of genocide against Israel is not only wholly unfounded as a matter of fact and law, it is morally repugnant, end of quote. In the document, Israel also stated that, I quote, the accusation of genocide is not just legally and factually incoherent, it is obscene, and that there was no valid basis in fact or law for the outrageous charge of genocide, end of quote. In light of the foregoing, the court considers that the parties appear to hold clearly opposite views as to whether certain acts or omissions allegedly committed by Israel in Gaza amount to violations by the latter of its obligations under the Genocide Convention. The court finds that the aforementioned elements are sufficient at this stage to establish prima facie the existence of a dispute between the parties relating to the interpretation application or fulfillment of the Genocide Convention. As to whether the acts and omissions complained of by the applicant appear to be capable of falling within the provisions of the Genocide Convention, the court recalls that South Africa considers Israel to be responsible for committing genocide in Gaza and for failing to prevent and punish genocidal acts. South Africa contends that Israel has also violated other obligations under the Genocide Convention, including those concerning conspiracy to commit genocide, direct and public incitement to genocide, attempted genocide, and complicity in genocide. At the present stage of the proceedings, the court is not required to ascertain whether any violations of Israel's obligations under the Genocide Convention have occurred. Such a finding could only be made by the court at the stage of the examination of the merits of the present case. At the stage of making an order on the request for an indication of provisional measures, the court's task is to establish whether the acts and omissions capable, sorry, complained of by the applicant appear to be capable of falling within the provisions of the Genocide Convention. In the court's view, at least some of the acts and omissions alleged by South Africa to have been committed by Israel in Gaza appear to be capable of falling within the provisions of the Convention. In light of the following, the court concludes that prima facie, it has jurisdiction pursuant to Article 9 of the Convention to entertain the case. Given this conclusion, the court considers that it cannot accede to Israel's request that the case be removed from the general list. The court turns next to the question of standing of South Africa. The court notes that the respondent did not challenge the standing of the applicant in the present proceedings. In the case concerning application of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, the Gambia v. Myanmar, where Article 9 of the Genocide, was, of the Genocide Convention was also invoked, the Court observed that all states' parties to the Convention have a common interest to ensure the prevention, suppression, and punishment of genocide. 
by committing themselves to fulfilling the obligations contained in the Convention. Such common interest implies that the obligations in question are owed by any state party to all the other state parties to the relevant convention. They are obligations erga omnis partis, in the sense that each state party has an interest in compliance with them in any given case. The common interest in compliance with the relevant obligations under the Genocide Convention entails that any state party, without distinction, is entitled to invoke the responsibility of another state party for an alleged breach of its obligations erga omnis partes. Accordingly, the court found that any state party to the Genocide Convention may invoke the responsibility of another state party, including through the institution of proceedings before the court, with a view to determining the alleged failure to comply with its obligations erga omnis partes under the Convention and to bringing a failure to the end. The court concludes prima facie that South Africa has standing to submit to it the dispute with Israel concerning alleged violations of obligations under the Genocide Convention. The court then turns to the question of the rights whose protection is sought and the link between such rights and the measures requested. It recalls that its power to indicate provisional measures under Article 41 of the statute has as its object the preservation of the respective rights claimed by the parties in a case, pending its decision on the merits thereof. It follows that the court must be concerned to preserve by such measures the rights which may subsequently be adjudged by it to belong to either party. Therefore, the court may exercise this power only if it is satisfied that the rights asserted by the party requesting such measures are at least plausible. At this stage of the proceedings, however, the court is not called upon to determine definitively whether the rights which South Africa wishes to seek protected exist. It need only decide whether the rights claimed by South Africa and for which it seeks protection are plausible. Moreover, a link must exist between the rights whose protection is sought and the provisional measures being requested. The court recalls that in accordance with Article I of the Convention, all states' parties thereto have undertaken to prevent and to punish the crime of genocide. Article 2 provides that, I quote, genocide means any of the following acts committed with an intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. A, killing members of the group. B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, E, forcing, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group, end of quote. Pursuant to Article 3 of the Genocide Convention, the following acts are also prohibited by the Convention. Conspiracy to commit genocide, direct and public incitement to commit genocide, attempt to commit genocide, and complicity in genocide. The provisions of the Convention are intended to protect the members of a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group from acts of genocide or any other punishable acts enumerated in Article 3. The Court considers that there is a correlation between the rights of members of groups protected under the Genocide Convention 
the obligations incumbent on state parties thereto, and the right of any state party to seek compliance therewith by another state party. As the Court has stated in other cases, in order for acts to fall within the scope of Article II of the Convention, the intent must be to destroy at least a substantial part of a particular group. This is demanded by the very nature of the crime of genocide, since the object and purpose of the Convention as a whole is to prevent the intentional destruction of groups. The part part targeted must be significant enough to have an impact on the group as a whole. The Palestinians appear to constitute a distinct national, ethnical, racial, or religious group, and hence a protected group, within the meaning of Article II of the Genocide Convention. The Court observes that, according to United Nations sources, the Palestinian population in the Gaza Strip comprises over 2 million people. Palestinians in the Gaza Strip form a substantial part of the protected group. The court notes that the military operation being conducted by Israel following the attack of 7 October 2023 has resulted in a large number of deaths and injuries, as well as massive destruction of homes, the forcible displacement of the vast majority of the population, and extensive damage to civilian infrastructure. While figures relating to the Gaza Strip cannot be independently verified, recent information indicates that 25,700 Palestinians have been killed. Over 63,000 injuries have been reported. Over 360 housing units have been destroyed or partially damaged. And approximately 1.7 million persons have been internally displaced. The court takes note in this regard of the statement by the United Nations Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator, Mr. Martin Griffiths, on 5 January 2024. I quote, Gaza has become a place of death and despair. Families are sleeping in the open as temperatures plummet. Areas where civilians were told to relocate for their safety have come under bombardment. Medical facilities are under relentless attack a public health disaster is unfolding. Gaza has simply become uninhabitable. Its people are witnessing daily threats to their very existence while the world watches on. End of quote. Following a mission to North Gaza, the World Health Organization reported that as of 21 December 2023, I quote, an unprecedented 93% of the population of Gaza is facing crisis levels of hunger with insufficient food and high levels of malnutrition, end of quote. The court further notes the statement issued by the Commissioner General of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian, Palestine Refugees in the Near East, or UNRWA, Mr. Philippe Lazzarini, on 13 January 2024. I quote, It's been 100 days since the devastating war started killing and displacing people in Gaza following the horrific attacks that Hamas and other groups carried out against people in Israel. It's been 100 days of ordeal and anxiety for hostages and their families. In the past 100 days, sustained bombardment across the Gaza Strip caused the massive displacement of a population that is in a state of flux, constantly uprooted and forced to leave overnight only to move to places which are just as unsafe. 
This war affected more than two million people, the entire population of Gaza. Many will carry lifelong scars, both physical and psychological. The vast majority, including children, are deeply traumatized. Overcrowded and unsanitary unrest shelters have become home to more than 1.4 million people. They lack everything, from food to hygiene to privacy. People live in inhumane conditions where diseases are spreading, including among children. They live through the unlivable in the, with the clock ticking fast towards famine. The plight of children in Gaza is especially heartbreaking. An entire generation of children is traumatized and will take years to heal. Thousands have been killed, maimed, and orphaned. Hundreds of thousands are deprived of education. Their future is in jeopardy with far-reaching and long-lasting consequences. The UNRWA Commissioner General also stated that the crisis in Gaza is, I quote, compounded by dehumanizing language, end of quote. In this regard, the court has taken note of a number of statements made by senior Israeli officials. It calls attention in particular to the following examples. On 9 October 2023, Mr. Yoav Gallant, Defense Minister of Israel, announced that he had ordered a complete siege of Gaza City and then that there would be no electricity, no food, no fuel, and that everything was closed. On the following day, Minister Gallant stated, speaking to Israeli troops on the Gaza border, I quote, I have released all restraints. You saw what we are fighting against. We are fighting human animals. This is the ISIS of Gaza. This is what we are fighting against. Gaza won't return to what it was before. There will be no Hamas. We will eliminate everything. If it doesn't take one day, it will take a week. It will take weeks or even months. We will reach all places. End of quote. On 12 October 2023, Mr. Isaac Herzog, President of Israel, stated, referring to Gaza, I quote, We are working, operating militarily according to rules of international law unequivocally. It is an entire nation out there that is responsible. It is not true, this rhetoric about civilians not aware, not involved. It is absolutely not true. They could have risen up. They could have fought against that evil regime which took over Gaza in a coup d'etat. But we are at war. We are at war. We are at war. We are defending our homes. We are protecting our homes. That's the truth. And when a nation protects its home, it fights. And we will fight until we break their backbone. End of quote. On 13 October 2023, Mr. Israel Katz, then Minister of Energy and Infrastructure of Israel, stated on X, formerly Twitter, I quote, We will fight the terrorist organization Hamas and destroy it. All the civilian population in Gaza is ordered to leave immediately. We will win. They will not receive a drop of water or a single battery until they leave the world. End of quote. The court also takes note of a press release of 16 November 2023 issued by 37 special rapporteurs, independent experts, and members of working groups part of the special procedures of the United Nations Human Rights Council in which they voiced alarm over, I quote, discernibly genocidal and dehumanizing rhetoric coming from senior Israeli government officials, end of quote. 
In addition, on 27 October 2023, the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination observed that it was highly concerned about the sharp increase in racist hate speech and dehumanization directed at Palestinians since 7 October. In the court's view, the aforementioned facts and circumstances are sufficient to conclude that at least some of the rights claimed by South Africa and for which it is seeking protection are plausible. This is the case with respect to the right of Palestinians in Gaza to be protected from acts of genocide and related prohibited acts identified in Article 3 and the right of South Africa to seek Israel's compliance with the latter's obligations under the Convention. The court then turns to the condition of the link between the plausible rights claimed by South Africa and the provisional measures requested. It considers that by their very nature, at least some of the provisional measures sought by South Africa are aimed at preserving the plausible rights it asserts on the basis of the Genocide Convention in the present case, namely, the right of the Palestinians in Gaza to be protected from acts of genocide and related prohibited acts mentioned in Article 3, and the right of South Africa to seek Israel's compliance with the latter's obligations under the Convention. Therefore, a link exists between the rights claimed by South Africa that the court has found to be plausible and at least some of the provisional measures requested. The court turns next to the question of risk of irreparable prejudice and urgency. It notes that, pursuant to Article 41 of its statute, it has the power to indicate provisional measures when irreparable prejudice could be caused to rights which are the subject of judicial proceedings, or when the alleged disregard of such rights might entail irreparable consequences. However, the power of the court to indicate provisional measures will only be exercised if there is urgency in the sense that there is a real and imminent risk that irreparable prejudice will be caused to the rights claimed before the court gives its final decisions. The condition of urgency is met when the acts susceptible of causing irreparable prejudice can occur at any moment before the court makes the final decision in the case. The court must therefore consider whether such a risk exists at this stage of the proceedings. The court is not called upon for purposes of its decision on the request for the indication of provisional measures to establish the existence of breaches of obligations under the Genocide Convention, but to determine whether the circumstances require the indication of provisional measures for the protection of rights under that instrument. As already noted, the court cannot at this stage make definitive findings of fact and the right of each party to submit arguments with respect to the merits remains unaffected by the court's decision on the request for the indication of provisional measures. The court recalls that, as underlined in General Assembly Resolution 96-1 of 11 December 1946, I quote, Genocide is a denial of the right of existence of entire human groups, as homicide is the denial of the right to live of individual human beings. Such denial of the right of existence shocks the conscience of mankind, results in great losses to humanity in the form of cultural and other contributions represented by these human groups, and is contrary to moral law and to the spirit and aims of the United Nations." End of quote. 
in view of the fundamental values sought to be protected by the Genocide Convention, the Court considers that the plausible rights in question in this proceeding, namely the right of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip to be protected from acts of genocide and related prohibited acts identified in Article 3 of the Genocide Convention, and the right of South Africa to seek Israel's compliance with the latter's obligation under the Convention, are of such a nature that prejudice to them is capable of causing irreparable harm. During the ongoing conflict, senior United Nations officials have repeatedly called attention to the risk of further deterioration of conditions in the Gaza Strip. The court takes note, for instance, of the letter dated 6 December 2023, whereby the Secretary General of the United Nations brought the following information to the attention of the Security Council. I quote, The healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Amid constant bombarding by the Israel Defense Forces and without shelter or the essentials to survive, I expect public order to break to completely break down soon due to the desperate conditions rendering even limited humanitarian assistance impossible. An even worse situation could unfold, including epidemic diseases and increased pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. We are facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system. The situation is fast deteriorating into a catastrophe with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians as a whole and for peace and security in the region. Such an outcome must be avoided at all costs. End of quote. On 5 January 2024, the Secretary General wrote again to the Security Council, providing an update on the situation in the Gaza Strip and observing that, I quote, sadly, devastating levels of death and destruction continue. End of quote. The court also takes note of the 17 January 2024 statement issued by the UNRWA Commissioner General upon return from his fourth visit to the Gaza Strip since the beginning of the current conflict in Gaza. I quote, Every time I visit Gaza, I witness how people have sunk further into despair with the struggle for survival consuming every hour. End of quote. The court considers that the civilian population in the Gaza Strip remains extremely vulnerable. It recalls that the military operation conducted by Israel after 7 October 2023 has resulted inter alia in tens of thousands of deaths and injuries and the destruction of homes, schools, medical facilities, and other vital infrastructure, as well as displacement on a massive scale. The court notes that the operation is ongoing and that the Prime Minister of Israel announced on 18 January 2024 that the war, I quote, will take many more long months, end of quote. At present, many Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have no access to the most basic foodstuffs, potable water, electricity, essential medicines, or heating. The World Health Organization has estimated that 15% of the women giving birth in Gaza Strip are likely to experience complications and indicates that maternal and newborn death rates are expected to increase due to the lack of access to medical care. In these circumstances, the court considers that the catastrophic humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip is at serious risk of deteriorating further before the court renders its final judgment. 
court recalls Israel's statement that it has taken certain steps to address and alleviate the conditions faced by the population in the Gaza Strip. The court further notes that the Attorney General of Israel recently stated that a call for intentional harm to civilians may amount to a criminal offense, including that of incitement, and that several such cases are being examined by Israeli law enforcement authorities. While such steps are to be encouraged, they are insufficient to remove the risk that irreparable prejudice will be caused before the court issues its final decision in the case. In light of the foregoing, the court considers that there is urgency in the sense that there is a real and imminent risk that irreparable prejudice will be caused to the rights found by the court to be plausible before it gives its final decision. The court concludes on the basis of the aforementioned considerations that the conditions required by its statute for it to indicate provisional measures are met. It is therefore necessary, pending its final decision, for the court to indicate certain measures in order to protect the rights claimed by South Africa that the court has found to be plausible. The court recalls that it has the power under its statute when a request for provisional measures has been made to indicate measures that are in whole or in part other than those requested. In the present case, having considered the terms of the provisional measures requested by South Africa and the circumstances of the case, the court finds that the measures indicated need not be identical to those requested. The court considers that with regard to the present situation, Israel must, in accordance with its obligations under the Genocide Convention, in relation to Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention, in particular, A, killing groups, members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, and D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. The court recalls that these acts fall within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention when they are committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part the group as such. The court further considers that Israel must ensure with immediate effect that its military forces do not commit any of the aforementioned acts. The court is also of the view that Israel must take measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to the members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. The court further considers that Israel must take immediate and effective measures to enable the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Israel must also take effective measures to prevent the destruction and ensure the preservation of evidence related to allegations of acts within the scope of Article 2 and Article 3 of the Genocide Convention against members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Regarding the provisional measure requested by South Africa that Israel must submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to the order, the court recalls that it has the power, reflected in Article 78 of the Rules of Court, 
to request the parties to provide information on any matter connected with the implementation of any provisional measures it has indicated. In view of the specific provisional measures it has decided to indicate, the court considers that Israel must submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to this order within one month as from the date of this order. The report so provided shall then be communicated to South Africa, which shall be given the opportunity to submit to the court its comments thereon. The court recalls that its orders on provisional measures under Article 41 of the statute have binding effect and thus create international legal obligations for any party to whom the provisional measures are addressed. The court reaffirms that the decision given in the present proceedings in no way prejudges the question of the jurisdiction of the court to deal with the merits of the case or any questions related to the admissibility of the application or to the merits themselves. It leaves unaffected the right of the governments of the Republic of South Africa and the State of Israel to submit arguments in respect of these questions. The order then states that the court deems it necessary to emphasize that all parties to the conflict in the Gaza Strip are bound by international humanitarian law. It is gravely concerned about the fate of the hostages abducted during the attack in Israel on 7 October 2023 and held since then by Hamas and other armed groups and calls for their immediate and unconditional release. I shall now read out the operative part of the order. For these reasons, the court indicates the following provisional measures. One, by 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall, in accordance with its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in relation to the Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention, in particular, A, killing members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, and D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. In favor. President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Branch, Judge Adhok Moseneke, against, Judge Sebatinde, Judge Adhok Barak. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one above. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Kevorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Atakmoseneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde, Judge Adhok Barak. By 16 votes to 1, the State of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. 
In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judges Ad Hoc, Barak, Moseneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde. By 16 votes to one, the State of Israel shall take immediate and effective measures to ensure the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judges Ad Hoc, Barak, Moseneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall take effective measures to prevent the destruction and ensure the preservation of evidence related to allegations of acts within the scope of Article 2 and Article 3 of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide against members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Ad Hoc Moseneke. Against, Judge Sebatinde, Judge Ad Hoc Barak. By 15 votes to two, the State of Israel shall submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to this order within one month as from the date of the order. In favor, President Donahue, Vice President Gavorgian, Judges Tomka, Abraham, Benuna, Yusuf, Shway, Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Charlesworth, Brandt, Judge Ad Hoc Moseneke. Against? Judge Sabatinde, Judge Ad Hoc Barak. I shall now call upon the Registrar to read the operative part of the order in French. Par ces motifs, la Cour indique les mesures conservatoires suivantes. 1. Par 15 voix contre 2, l'État d'Israël doit, conformément aux obligations lui incombant au titre de la Convention pour la prévention et la répression du crime de génocide, prendre toutes les mesures en son pouvoir pour prévenir la Commission, à l'encontre des Palestiniens de Gaza, de tout acte entrant dans le champ d'application de l'article 2 de la Convention, en particulier les actes suivants. A. Meurtre de membres du groupe. B. Atteinte grave à l'intégrité physique ou mentale de membres du groupe. C. Soumission intentionnelle du groupe à des conditions d'existence devant entraîner sa destruction physique totale ou partielle. Et D. Mesures visant à entraver les naissances au sein du groupe. Pour Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgan, vice-président, Messieurs Tomka, Abraham, Benouna, Youssouf, Madame Choué, Messieurs Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolte, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Brand, juge, Monsieur Mosseneke, juge ad hoc. Contre Madame Seboutinde, juge, Monsieur Barak, juge ad hoc. Deux. Par quinze voix contre deux. L'État d'Israël doit veiller avec effet immédiat à ce que son armée ne commette aucun des actes visés au point 1 ci-dessus. Pour 
Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgen, vice-président, Monsieur Tomka, Abraham, Benouna, Youssouf, Madame Choué, Monsieur Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolt, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Brand, juge, Monsieur Mosseneke, juge ad hoc. Contre, Madame Seboutine, des juges, Monsieur Barak, juge ad hoc. 3. Par 16 voix contre une. L'État d'Israël doit prendre toutes les mesures en son pouvoir pour prévenir et punir l'incitation directe et publique à commettre le génocide à l'encontre des membres du groupe des Palestiniens de la bande de Gaza. Pour Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgan, vice-président, Monsieur Tomka Abraham, Benouna Youssouf, Madame Choué, Monsieur Bandari Robinson, Salam Iwasawa, Nolte, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Bran, juge, Monsieur Barak, Moseneke, juge ad hoc, contre Madame Seboutinde, juge. 4. Par 16 voix contre une, l'État d'Israël doit prendre sans délai des mesures effectives pour permettre la fourniture des services de base et de l'aide humanitaire requis de toute urgence afin de remédier aux difficiles conditions d'existence auxquelles sont soumis les Palestiniens de la bande de Gaza. Pour Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgian, vice-président, Monsieur Tomka, Abraham, Benouna, Youssouf, Madame Choué, Monsieur Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolt, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Brand, juge, Monsieur Barak, Moseneke, juge ad hoc, contre Madame Seboutinde, juge. 5. Par 15 voix contre 2. L'État d'Israël doit prendre des mesures effectives pour prévenir la destruction et assurer la conservation des éléments de preuve relatifs aux allégations d'actes entrant dans le champ d'application des articles 2 et 3 de la Convention pour la prévention et la répression du crime de génocide commis contre les membres du groupe des Palestiniens de la bande de Gaza. Pour Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgan, vice-président, Monsieur Tomka, Abraham, Benouna, Youssouf, Madame Choué, Monsieur Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolt, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Brand, juge, Monsieur Mosseneke, juge ad hoc, contre, Madame Seboutinde, juge, Monsieur Barak, juge ad hoc. 6. Par 15 voix contre 2. L'État d'Israël doit soumettre à la Cour un rapport sur l'ensemble des mesures qu'il aura prises pour donner effet à la présente ordonnance dans un délai d'un mois à compter de la date de celle-ci. Pour Madame Donoyou, présidente, Monsieur Gevorgan, vice-président, Monsieur Tomka, Abraham, Benouna, Youssouf, Madame Choué, Monsieur Bandari, Robinson, Salam, Iwasawa, Nolt, Madame Charlesworth, Monsieur Brand, juge, Monsieur Moseneke, juge ad hoc. Contre Madame Seboutinde, juge, Monsieur Barak, juge ad hoc. Judge Shway appends a declaration to the order of the court. Judge Sabatinde appends a dissenting opinion to the order of the court. Judges Bandari and Nolta append declarations to the order of the court. Judge Adhak Barak appends a separate opinion to the order of the court. The text of the court will be available from today in TypeScript. It will be available shortly on the court's website. The printed text will be available in due course. As the court has no further business before today, I declare the sitting closed. Welcome back. And that was the order.
uh, read uh, before uh, the International Court of Justice uh, earlier today on Friday, uh, January the 26th, uh, 2024, an historic day uh, for uh, the peoples of Palestine and uh, the Republic of South Africa and all peace and freedom-loving people throughout the world. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for uh, Friday, uh, January 26, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with our concluding segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide uh, radio broadcast. That track was entitled, I'll Keep On Holding On. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for uh, this Friday, uh, January the 26th, uh, 2024. And we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. And right now we want to listen to a panel discussion from uh, Electronic Intifada uh, on uh, the court ruling, International Court of Justice, the United Nations High Court, uh, which was handed down uh, earlier uh, this morning. Uh, Let's listen uh, to uh, this discussion uh, on uh, recent developments involving Palestine 
and the court case uh, brought uh, by the African National Congress government uh, in the Republic of South Africa. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Electronic Intifada's live stream. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with my colleagues Asa Winstanley, Ali Abunima, John Elmer, and Tamara Nassar. Today we're taking a look at the International Court of Justice's ruling that was issued just hours ago, finding that Israel is committing the crime of genocide against Palestinians. The court ordered Israel to stop committing acts of genocide. Coming up in this broadcast, we'll talk about the implications of the ruling, what it means now in terms of Israel's genocide, and what comes next. The Palestinian Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions National Committee stated that, quote, while the court fell short of explicitly ordering an immediate and permanent ceasefire, states must now be pressured to fulfill their legal obligations to actually stop the genocide and impose a ceasefire. Third, states must end their complicity and prevent genocide by, at the very least, ceasing arms transfers to Israel as well as all military funding and diplomatic cover for its genocidal aggression. Palestinian lawyer Diana Butu said that, quote, the ICJ ruling is an end to Israeli impunity. The ruling requires Israel to take measures to prevent genocide, to ensure effective aid enters Gaza, to ensure that its military does not commit genocide and prevent and punish those who incite to genocide. There has been criticism of the ICJ's failure to explicitly call for a ceasefire, but as Ali tweeted, quote, Israel cannot stop killing and other genocidal acts against Palestinians as the court ordered without a ceasefire. Here is South African Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor explaining that point. I believe that uh, in exercising uh, the uh, order, there would have to be a ceasefire. Without it, the order uh, doesn't actually work. I I would have wanted a ceasefire. No, they didn't. Are you disappointed that they didn't specify that? I have no way that I'm going to say I'm disappointed. I hoped for it, but the fact of delivering humanitarian aid the fact of taking measures that reduce the levels of harm against persons who have no role in what Israel uh, is combating, for me, requires a ceasefire. And I believe Israel would have to attend to how it conducts its search for the hostages and for those Hamas individuals who carried out the October 7th uh, attack. That was South African Foreign Minister Naledi Pandor. Meanwhile, Israel's genocidal officials are dismissing the ICJ's order. The Times of Israel reported that National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir called the court, quote, anti-Semitic. He said, quote, the decision of the anti-Semitic court in The Hague proves what is already known. This court does not seek justice, but rather the persecution of Jewish people. They were silent during the Holocaust, and today they continue the hypocrisy and take it another step further. Ben Gavir claimed the ICJ was founded in 1945. It was not in operation during the Nazi Holocaust, 
but it is for this one. We're now joined by Susan Akram. Susan is the director of the International Human Rights Clinic at Boston University's School of Law. She's taught at the American University in Cairo and at Al-Quds and Birzeit Universities in Palestine and is the author of many publications and scholarly articles about international law and Palestine. Susan, it's so great to have you with us, and thank you for joining us on such short notice. Thank you for having me. Uh, Hi, Susan. Hi, Ali. So first off, your overall reaction to the International Court of Justice's ruling this morning. So my first response is cautious optimism. Uh, the ruling did not go as far as, of course, many of us who were looking for a clear decision to halt uh, the attacks on Gaza completely. Uh, were, uh, yes, we were hoping for, for that. Uh, on the other hand, this decision is somewhere between the provisional measures that the court issued in the Myanmar case and in the Ukraine versus Russia cases. So it seems to thread a, a middle ground, and perhaps I think some of us could assume that the court was hoping for compliance and that there was possibly no, no expectation of compliance if there was a, a demand for a complete ceasefire. Um, at the same time, the, there is a very high uh, unanimity on the court on each of the provisional measures. And the um, measures track very closely the requirements of the Genocide Convention and basically say that Israel must stop uh, engaging in any of the acts that it lists from the Genocide Convention, the presumption being that Israel is violating those provisions of the Convention. Uh, Susan, is this a defeat for Israel? Uh, will Israel now have to contend with um, being uh, associated with committing acts of genocide? Uh, what's your response to that? Yes, uh, well, absolutely on the second point, Israel will be associated with acts of genocide forever. Um, is it a defeat? is a second question and depends very much on what action states take to implement this decision. Uh, one can enter, so the next step from this decision is that the court refers these provisional measures to the Security Council. We can expect a veto from the United States there, uh, but it will likely again be taken up by the General Assembly. And there we know from the prior votes that the vast majority of the countries on this planet, as well as representing the vast majority of the people on this planet, uh, that there will be a decision about how these provisional measures are to be carried out. And that's where the action is going to be. And where the responsibility for all civil society actors is going to play a major role in how their states respond to this and what they do to hold Israel to account based on what the court has indicated Israel must do. You're an a international law expert and 
educator with a great deal of experience and deep knowledge and so you've taken a very uh, careful look as, as one would expect and want you to, to do. Uh, a lot of us who don't have that expertise and who, who are very hot-headed are reacting to this decision in all sorts of ways and, and immediately a battle broke out on social media about what it means uh, uh, with some people saying, oh, this is a, a worthless decision, it's a, it's a defeat for the Palestinian or South African side, it's a win for Israel, because uh, uh, particularly people, a lot of people hung up on this issue of the ceasefire, uh, and, and you, you've said that you would have wanted that, and the South African foreign minister said she would have wanted that, and I, of course, would have wanted that, but I want to put to you sort of a, a different view on that as a layperson and get your view as a a lawyer and I just want to for our audience just read a little bit of what the actual order is or the provisional measures to use the court's term and this was uh, adopted by 15 votes to two so a very significant majority um, it says the state of Israel shall in accordance with its obligations under the convention on the prevention and punishment of the crime of genocide in relation to Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of this convention, in particular, killing members of the group, causing bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, and imposing measures intended to prevent births within the groups. And then there are other parts of the order that go to um, making sure humanitarian uh, aid and so on gets in, and incitement, preventing and punishing incitement. But I just want to reiterate this, this view that the court maybe took uh, a view that this is tantamount to calling for a ceasefire, because how can you as the South African Foreign Minister said, how can you um, prevent killing and mental and physical, uh, mental and bodily harm uh, without a ceasefire? It's, it's effectively impossible. And how can you um, stop creating conditions that are calculated to make life impossible without a ceasefire and without ending the siege of Gaza? In a sense, this is broader than a, than a ceasefire because uh, Israel could have a ceasefire. We've had ceasefires before, but within a ceasefire, you can still have the siege, you can still have starvation, you can still have denial of, of medical care and access for humanitarian aid. But the, the, the measures here are far broader because they not only say stop the violence against Palestinians, they say also stop starving them. Effectively, it could be interpreted as stop besieging them, stop doing all these other things. And if they go to the Security Council, it would, you know, the US will probably veto it anyway. Let's not kid ourselves. But if there was the word ceasefire in there, the, wouldn't the United States say, well, uh, we're going to veto this because calling for a ceasefire is negating Israel's so-called right to self-defense. 
Whereas it's much harder to oppose something like this, which says, stop doing genocide. Uh, they'll probably still veto it anyway. But I just wanted to put that view to you and get your reaction. Mm -hmm. Yes, so several responses to that. Number one, uh, I started out by saying that the court is probably highly motivated by trying to get compliance. And you're exactly right. This, I, I would guess, uh, a, a very uneducated guest not having, not being behind the scenes in the court's deliberations, but that uh, they were much more likely to get a positive response at the Security Council if they did not call for a ceasefire. So I totally agree with that piece. On the other hand, if you look at these provisional measures and you connect the elements of genocide, so you see provisional measure one and provisional measure two. The second provisional measure says the state of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any of the acts. It's not saying these acts must stop or that the, uh, it's in other words, allowing the military to continue its operations, right? As long as it doesn't violate these provisions. Now you but have to think isn't that like saying the Israeli military can make an omelet, but it can't break any eggs? In some ways, but you have to remember again that the elements of these particular elements of genocide must be connected with the statements of intent. Right. So if there's no intent, but these acts are being carried out in the context of a legitimate conflict, and the court has said nothing about that, about the legitimacy or not of the conflict. If these acts are being carried out within and they are proportionate to the what is allowed under humanitarian law um, as part of a conflict, it's not genocide. So the court here is threading the needle very, very carefully. And I would not go so far as to say, just looking at the first provisional measure on its own, that it is the equivalent of demanding a ceasefire. Connect the first one to the second and connect that to the requirement of intent under the Genocide Convention. That's why I'm suggesting I'm cautiously optimistic about this ruling. I would not go so far as to be fully enthusiastic in the conclusion that by saying what it does in provisional measure one, that the court is saying the equivalent of a ceasefire. I think there's an argument that under two and, uh, and the intent piece that Israel still has an argument to say, we can continue to conduct our operations, but they must be much more narrow and they must be targeted and they must not uh, to the extent possible, not kill civilians. So that's my take. I, I'm, and again, I'm just digesting this and uh, need to really go back to the other two rulings in the Myanmar and Ukraine versus Russia cases to unpack those um, and in terms of what, uh, what the consequences of that, those two orders have been on the other important bodies at the UN. Mm -hmm. Susan, um, 
What about enforcement? I know that Israel uh, was also ordered to, you know, uh, report back to the court in one month. Um, what is uh, who? You know, this is a binding order, but who and what can enforce the the ruling of the court? So we already talked about what happens next in terms of the uh, mechanical. Uh, consequences. It goes to the Security Council. The Security Council is going to have to decide. I'm suggest I'm guessing that if the Security Council does not um, implement the uh, clearly implementable parts of this of this order, that it's going to again go to the General Assembly under something called there's a 1950 resolution called Uniting for Peace, which allows the General Assembly to take action uh, and put a resolution on the table when the Security Council fails to act, when there are breaches to peace. So that's actually how the General Assembly has been uh, getting these resolutions on the table when the Security Council has failed. So I'm, I uh, expect that that mechanism will be used again for a continuing resolution and that we will probably get another call for a ceasefire and perhaps much more specific actions out of the General Assembly and then it is going to be uh, up to, under the rubric of what is called Erga Omnis Partes, that is, all state parties to the Genocide Convention are going to have obligations. And one would hope that the General Assembly in its resolution would spell out what those obligations are on all state parties as a matter of not just a resolution of the General Assembly, but as a matter of being state parties to the Genocide Convention. And as I mentioned before, this is where the action is going to be and where our work as civil society is going to be incredibly important, demanding accountability through our uh, domestic governments, through, through our government's domestic acts. Um, so that's the implementation. Now, of course, in the Ukraine versus Russia case, as a consequence of the provisional measures from the ICJ, the International Criminal Court, the prosecutor, issued a warrant for Putin's arrest. Now, we would hope, if that doesn't happen, from the prosecutor, that individual states that have already shown their willingness to implement whatever orders the ICJ uh, decides, that they will take this up through domestic legislation and their own criminal universal jurisdiction processes and issue warrants for the arrest of the principals prosecuting this war. Susan, uh, we, what, what impact specifically do you think this could have on, say, the arms trade with Israel? I mean, we know that there have been round-the-clock airlifts from the United States to Israel, and that's where the bombs come from to carry out this genocide. But it's not just the United States, it's the Netherlands, it's Germany, it's the United Kingdom, and many other countries. Uh, legal expert Nimr Sultani tweeted, uh, the EU, the UK, German, and US officials who met and indulged Isaac Herzog, Israel's president, and rushed to photos with Yoav Galant, the defense minister, now need to confront the fact that their statements are Exhibit A in the genocide case. Uh, 
do you think that they will carry on business as usual and continue to coddle and uh, receive and uh, praise people like Isaac Herzog? Or do you think this begins to change the way Israel is seen and treated, even among its uh, so-called friends? Or, or are they just going to keep ignoring it? I mean, they just had, uh, or they are having... Uh, this week, Holocaust, International Holocaust Remembrance Day uh, events, and, and once again saying never again and lighting candles while participating in a full-scale genocide. I mean, are they just beyond any, any hope? Is it up to um, the global south to take this on? Or is there any, does any of this matter in the so-called West? Uh, it matters a great deal. It matters a great deal. Um, and I think there's going to be a great deal more caution in dealing with uh, the uh, Israeli principles from, first of all, in the Western world, from the EU. And I think that is because there's dissent within the EU about the approach to uh, what is happening in Gaza. We've heard from Spain. We've heard from Slovenia. Uh, and I think that dissent is going to grow. I mean, the Irish have been very loud uh, about their opposition. Um, I think with this ICJ uh, opinion, decision, that uh, it's going to give a, a, a larger platform to the dissenting voices within the EU. Um, there is not going to be a uniform policy anymore from the EU, is my prediction towards Israel, uh, the fanfare towards Israel. There is going to be a great deal more caution. Now, the U.S., I think, is beyond hope. Um, I'm sorry. Until we get a lot more congressional voices supporting Bernie Sanders and Ayanna Presley and the uh, congre co Congress people who, are calling, who have been calling for a ceasefire, um, but I don't, that is not where the action is going to be at this point to hold Israel accountable. On the other hand, what is, what we have to watch very closely is this case in California by the Center for Constitutional Rights. I would have expected that case to be dismissed from the get-go. The fact that it wasn't, and, I, and we're going to have uh, arguments today in that case, um, Can you just remind, we, we had someone from the CCR, the Center for Constitutional Rights, back literally months ago now uh, to talk about that case. Uh, and that is a case, uh, it's a civil suit, if I'm correct, in federal court against uh, Joe Biden and other top officials uh, saying that they are failing on, uh, in their uh, they're failing in their obligations under the Genocide Convention to stop genocide. And the Genocide Convention is incorporated into United States law. It's part of U.S. law because the U.S. ratified the Genocide Convention and President Ronald Reagan signed it, I believe, in 1988. And uh, there was a big push from supporters of Israel to get the United States to sign to ratify uh, that convention. It's hard to imagine any president today signing the Genocide Convention. I think that's, that we've regressed even from Ronald Reagan. But so is that a fair summary of the lawsuit in California? 
action, and that is that the uh, lawsuit actually goes farther. It, it is charging complicity, which brings us back to your point about arms, because this is specifically about weapons delivery to Israel. And that's the main complicity between uh, weapons delivery and, of course, billions of dollars that the U.S. has given to Israel to prosecute whatever wars it wants. Um, so the complicity is really interesting because that's actually a, normally a very difficult um, element to prove, a dif difficult charge to prove. And uh, in the past, um, civil suits under the same statute, which is the Alien Tort Claims Act, against Israeli defendants for a whole host of um, gross violations of human rights have failed at the jurisdiction stage, uh, and they have been dismissed before even getting to the merits. So to my mind, we have a receptive court. Um, we shall see how far this goes, but the efforts by the Biden administration to dismiss this lawsuit so far have not been successful. Uh, but this type of action, now in the U.S. we don't have pure criminal uh, universal jurisdiction. Um, it's all through the civil, it's all through the Alien Tort Claims Act, except for the Convention Against Torture. Um, but other countries like Belgium, like the Netherlands, uh, France, the UK, have the possibility of bringing of victims and victims' representatives bringing cases to, through their criminal pr procedures to get warrants issued and start criminal prosecutions. We don't have that here, but that's the equivalent in other countries, and that's where uh, we hope civil society will begin those processes. And, and, they have and, and that's very helpful. But just to clarify for our viewers who may not know all these terms, and I, I don't claim to know all of them. So there's international justice, things like the International Court of Justice, which we just watched today. That's the case we're focusing on. And that's a court that deals between states. It doesn't deal with individual accused individuals. Then you have the International Criminal Court, which I do want to come back to uh, in a minute, which takes on criminal cases against individuals accused of various uh, high crimes in international law, whether it's uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide. And then you have universal jurisdiction, which you mentioned, which is where international crimes can be tried in the courts of a third country. And so let me give an example of that. Uh, back in, uh, I think it's more than 20 years ago now, a group of survivors uh, sought to criminally prosecute Ariel Sharon, who was then the Prime Minister of Israel, in a Belgian court for the uh, Sabran Shatila massacre of Palestinian refugees uh, in Beirut uh, in 1982. And in that case, the United States actually pressured Belgium to change its laws, and, and they got um, Ariel Sharon off the hook, I think, and the Belgian court eventually said, oh, we don't have jurisdiction. I don't remember what the excuse was. But so there's that precedent where people have tried universal jurisdiction, and the door has been slammed. Are you 
do you see now that this is a more why would things be different now let me put it that way yes so so although belgium so there are several bases for uh jurisdiction over international crimes and uh pure universal jurisdiction is relates to for example um under the genocide convention every party to that convention is required to prevent and prosecute uh, genocide. Under that convention, if you had pure universal jurisdiction, a state would be able to prosecute anyone, anywhere, regardless of where that crime took place and regardless of that state's connection with that crime. Now, what has happened over the years, primarily because of efforts to hold US and Israeli uh, perpetrators uh, accountable in domestic courts is that that pure universal jurisdiction has been narrowed in various domestic uh, statutes, meaning uh, principally that there needs to be some connection between the state that's prosecuting and the individual who is being prosecuted or the state that's prosecuting and the actual crime. Now, countries vary dramatically in where they are on that on that spectrum of connection between that state and the territory so but under the genocide convention and now what we're hearing from the international court of justice this is an erga omnis obligation meaning all states must prevent and punish and because we've had the myanmar uh, uh and gambia case where the International Court of Justice has said, it doesn't matter what connection the state has to the crime. Every, every state is required and has jurisdiction at the, uh, at the International Court of Justice for preventing and punishing genocide. So yes, you're right. We have that Sharon precedent, but there are lots of other cases now going on against Syrian defendants, against uh, Myanmar, uh, against uh, Russia, in domestic courts, under universal jurisdiction, under various aspects of their statutory provisions. So, so what I'm saying is there's lots of opportunity now. And right now we know that in the UK, the um, International Center for Justice for Palestinians has filed a number of complaints with Scotland Yard to uh, prosecute Israeli defendants for genocide in Gaza. So uh, just to to try to to, uh, spell this out a bit, uh, for my understanding and for our viewers, so is what you're saying is that based on this ruling, this gives a green light to any country in the world to charge Yoav Gallant, Benjamin Netanyahu, whoever it may be, with uh, acts of genocide under the convention and issue an international arrest warrant that these people should be arrested and brought to whatever country it is to stand trial. And that, that this is what the International Court of Justice has green-lighted today. Is that what I'm hearing? That's what I'm saying. And, but, but again, it's state parties to the genocide convention. 
that's what this ruling is about. So, yes, that's exactly right. And, and so if, if someone, sorry, go ahead, Nora. No, I just wanted to ask, you know, also as a layperson, um, it, would the U.S. or, you know, any EU country or Canada uh, or the UK be able to step in and and try and uh, thwart that from happening? Um, they could, but it's difficult. They need to have some significant leverage. Now, whether the US's leverage at this point is going to be sufficient against an awful lot of countries that have joined this request, is remains an open question. We shall see. And let's go back to the International Criminal Court. That's a different institution from the International Court of Justice. People often confuse them. And again, the International Court of Justice, which is often called the World Court, goes back actually more than a century, its origins. And it's the top court to decide disputes between States, and I think they also deal with like and the genocide convention and I think do they also deal with the law of the sea they, any conventions any conventions right. that have a provision that that uh, referred refer disputes the ju the jurisdiction of disputes to the International Court of Justice right. this is the court attached to the United Nations so all UN Charter members are subject to the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice and any rulings that apply to all of states' parties are binding on all UN Charter members. Right, so that's the International Court of Justice. It deals with disputes between states under various conventions of international law. And then, as we said, there's the International Criminal Court, which was only established in, uh, I think it was 2000, under the Rome Statute. Welcome back. And uh, that was a discussion of uh, the legal implications of the International Court of Justice ruling earlier today against uh, the State of Israel, a case uh, brought uh, by the ANC government in South Africa. And, of course, that's going to conclude uh, our program for today. You've been listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, Special Worldwide radio broadcast and uh, we've been heavily uh, analyzing and discussing uh, the ICJ uh, ruling earlier today and uh, if you'd like to have more information on this case and uh, the various uh, debates surrounding it just go to our website at the pan at the pan african newswire and that's at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com, panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to uh, have access to today's program, the Pan-African Journal, Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Friday, January 26, uh, 2024, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash uh, Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. <clears throat> We're going to uh, conclude uh, our program today uh, with uh, the legendary uh, Dinah Washington. 
And this is uh, Abayomi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week.
Thank you. 